welcome again to Read on Truth and Happy New Year to everyone. We hope that 2023 is going to be a year full of success and a lot of happiness. Today we have Bob Barone who is going to speak about the labor market. The economy is weaker than the headline jobs numbers suggest. First of all, hi Bob, how is everything going today with you? Wonderful. We hope that 2023 is a better year for the markets than 2022. So far, that's the way it started. That's exactly the way it started. The job numbers last Friday were much better than expected, and both stock and bond markets, they have reacted positively. Were the job numbers that good, Bob? Let's talk about the detail, because what we get in the headline number isn't really what happens underneath the surface. The headline number of 223,000 new jobs in the payroll job survey beat the consensus, which was just over 200,000. And as a result of that particular report, Wall Street thinks that the economy is going to have a soft landing. That narrative is back in play. Uh, The cherry on top of this ice cream sundae was wages didn't grow nearly as fast as the market anticipated. The wages grew at a 0.3% annual rate. The consen- I'm sorry, monthly rate. The consensus was 0.4%. Maybe the markets feel that the feared wage price spiral is not going to occur. With the two pieces of data, the wage data and the uh, And the good payrolls data, the Dow actually rose more than 700 points on Friday. And today is Thursday, the next Thursday. And since it rose those 700 points, it's added another 560 points. That's through the close as of today, Thursday, January 12th. One would think that since the labor market appears to be strong, this would elicit a further hawkish response from the Fed. And and then that interest rates would spike higher because the Fed is not worried about the fact that the labor market's too strong and, and we're going to get a wage price spiral. The opposite occurred. The 10-year Treasury yield actually fell more than 30 basis points from a 3.72 to a close today of a 3.42%, that's quite a fall over just a four-day period. And even short-term interest rates fell. The two-year Treasury uh, was down nearly 33 uh, basis points from a a 4.46 to a 4.13. Scratching my head, if the Fed continues to raise interest rates because the jobs numbers were strong, then the oncoming recession is actually going to be much deeper and longer than necessary. You've been of the opinion that the economy is weaker than these headline numbers suggest. Do you still believe that? So we've often cautioned our clients that they should look beneath the headlines, that the media only reports the headlines and doesn't report anything else. It's wise to do so with this particular employment data. 
let's start off with the 223,000 that the payroll survey came out as. There's something called the birth death model. And this is a an add-on that the Bureau of Labor Statistics just tacks on to the end without actually counting anybody. The birth death model is occurs because the BLS does not survey small businesses. And the politicians scream, hey, America is, you know, is based on small business. What the BLS did is did a historical study of small businesses. Yes, over time, our economy does grow. And yes, over time, small businesses grow and they hire people. But not this past year, not in 2022. And yet the BLS added 1.2 million people to the payroll report that they never counted. It's because they have this model that says, add something. Mm-hmm. Um, the November jobs, in for the year, they added 1.2. For December, they added 79,000. The November jobs numbers were also um, revised down by 28,000. When we take both the revision down and the birth death model, what they actually counted was 116,000. That's the change from November to December. That's still positive, but it isn't 223,000. And the number of jobs is really important, but it doesn't really tell the entire employment story because it doesn't distinguish first between full-time and part-time jobs. In other words, in the payroll survey, if you have a part-time job or if you have a full-time job, they're both counted equally as as a job. I lose my full-time job and lose my benefits, and I get two part-time jobs with no benefits. I was better off having one full-time job. That's counted as plus one job, and where it really isn't. And the payroll survey also doesn't look at hours worked. If people have a full-time job, but their hours are cut back, it doesn't look at that. That's what's happened both in November and December. Last month, hours hours worked fell a 0.3%. Now, it doesn't seem like a lot. 0.3% doesn't seem like a lot. When you spread this over 159 million people who are employed in this country, that's a lot of hours. There's an economist on Wall Street called David Rosenberg, and he calculated that if we actually looked at the hours worked, that we would have seen a negative 150,000 jobs equivalent. And that was for December. And uh, November was even worse, minus 300,000 jobs when you look at the hours worked. Everywhere we look for corroborating evidence that the job market is strong, we find the opposite. The factory work week actually fell in December by 0.25% and has been flat or down every month since February. So that's a long dry spell for the factory work week.
It is, absolutely. The unemployment rate fell from 3.7% to 3.5%. Wouldn't that also be a sign of labor force strength? Again, the devil is in the details. The unemployment rate is calculated from the sister survey that occurs at the same time the payroll survey occurs. So the payroll survey is a survey of businesses. The household survey is a telephone survey calling households and saying, are you employed or not? Okay. In the payroll survey, if they hire two people in part-time jobs, that's counted as two. In a household survey, if I have five part-time jobs, I'm counted as employed, as it's only counted as one. Okay. So let's look at the household survey. The household survey showed that part-time jobs grew 679,000. This tells us that all of the growth in the number of jobs in the payroll survey that we just discussed were part-time, okay? And in fact, five, over 5% 5 of the workforce now have two jobs. That's up from 4.7% back in October, and it's really a sign of distress in the labor markets, not a sign of strength. Indeed, the, the soft landing narrative is not backed up by the detailed data. If the labor market were really as tight as suggested by the payroll survey, then we wouldn't be seeing a softening in the wage growth that, that I talked about at the beginning here of 0.3, market expected 0.4%. It wouldn't be softening. If it was really that strong, then wage, wage growth would be accelerating, not decelerating. And look, if you look at the slide, you can see that on the right-hand side, the big deceleration in the job openings and you only see that kind of a deceleration in a recession. That, so this, this particular survey, the job openings and labor turnover survey, is a favorite of, uh, of the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I said earlier, if he looks at this, he's not going to want to talk about it because it really shows deterioration. Well, I can understand that, yeah. So let's talk about layoffs, Bob. It seems we hear about companies laying off people every single day right now. And even Goldman Sachs has announced a layoff of about 3,200 employees. This is to reinforce your view that the labor market is... Yes. There's a slide that shows tech company layoffs. And let's talk about that because tech company layoffs have dominated the headlines here. If we look back to the, to the lockdown period, this is April of 2020, the number of tech layoffs was 26,710, according to the graph. And then you can see, as we proceeded through the year, there were very few tech layoffs until the middle of 2022. And since the middle of 2022, 
tech layoffs have just been high. We see that in November alone, over 51,000 layoffs in the tech sector occurred. And so that's quite high. Mm-hmm. So, and if we look further and go to look at the next slide, which is a table, this table shows us which tech companies have, have laid off and how many layoffs there are. For example, Meta, which is the old Facebook, has laid off percent of their of their workforce, or at least announced layoffs of that. That's about eleven thousand employees. Amazon laying off eighteen thousand. Salesforce eight thousand, and the count goes on. It goes all the way down. DoorDash, Snap, Lyft, Redfin, Twitter. We know laying off half of their staff. Mm-hmm. Etc. The next slide shows that a company called Layoffs FYI has calculated that in 2022, over a thousand tech companies laid off almost 154,000 employees. And if we want to go back and compare it to What happened in the lockdowns in 2020, from March to December of 2020, only 80,000 were laid off in the tech sector. In 2021, only 15,000 were laid off in the tech sector. So you can note in the chart that really beginning in June of 2022, we see a lot of layoffs in the tech sector. The tech sector, of course, is America's growth industry. When the growth companies aren't growing anymore, that's not a good sign. Another sign of distress in the labor market comes from the the headhunters themselves. These are temporary agency employment folks who work at those employment agencies. And it's a very good leading indicator for the employment data. When people in the in the in the jobs finding industry are laid off, it means there's no jobs available. Uh, as I say, when the headhunters are chopping their own heads, it means that job openings are drying up. Any other corroborating evidence that employment is not as strong as the headline data would imply? There's a manufacturing survey that comes out by the Institute for Supply Management, and it came in negative for two months in a row. December was negative at 48.4. November was negative at 49. When I say negative, anything under 50 is negative. Above 50 is positive, below 50 is contraction. If we look at the the next slide, on the left-hand side, we see that over time, since since the middle of 2021, the ISM manufacturing index has been falling uh, and is now below zero. That's not a good sign. There is also 
regional Federal Reserve Bank manufacturing surveys. So about five of the Federal Reserve Banks do these manufacturing surveys. And Rosenberg, who I mentioned earlier, his company does a composite of production, new orders, and employment. And so on the right-hand side of the, uh, of the chart, you can see that in 2020, of course, when the lockdowns came, it was really negative, but that we've just crossed over the zero line again in 2020, end of 2022. Not a good sign for the economy. So the CPI for December was just announced, right? It fell 0.1% in December. The inflation rate over the past year has now fallen to 6.5%. Can you comment on that, Bob? The data that was just announced goes to show that inflation really was, quote, unquote, transitory after all. That was a dirty word for a long time. It wasn't transitory. It's just that the time frame for transitory has now been defined, 18 months. Supply chains are back to normal, and we see prices are really melting everywhere. Those ISM indexes and surveys that I talked about earlier have a, a prices paid index for, for the manufacturers. And we can see from the chart on the right-hand side that prices paid are just plummeting. In fact, they were 39.4. Remember, 50 is the demarcation line between expansion and contraction. They were 39.4 in December, down from 43 in November. Uh, it's now approaching the lows that were reached during the COVID-19 lockdowns. In December, the CPI actually fell 0.1%. Not much, but it actually was negative on a month-over-month -month basis. Uh, now, everybody looks at what was it year-over-year, 6.5, but the month-over-month -month is now negative, which means we're probably entering a period of deflation. In that minus 1%, we have rents. Rents account for about 30% of the CPI. And in this particular calcul calculation, rents rose 0.8%. We know a couple of things. We know that BLS uses antiquated methods when measuring their rents. And we know that real, in real time, rents have been falling. In fact, the Zillow rent index, if you look at the right-hand side, you can see that it's just plummeting. The BLS's rent index is about six months behind reality. Let's do just a little bit of math. If the math says that the rents rose 0.8% in this particular calculation, then and, and rents are 30% of the calculation, then to get to the minus 0.1%, everything else had to decline by negative 0.5%. That's really deflation. So let's talk about the rents. Over the last six months, uh, rents have actually fallen by 3% in Las Vegas, by 2% in Phoenix, 
and by 1% in Tampa. Those are all the three hottest markets in the country. Part of the reason that rents have been declining is because of the new apartment units that have come on the market. 400,000 new apartment units came on the market in 2022. Given that 2023 is on track to produce even more, 500,000 units are now in the pipeline, rents have a considerable distance to fall, and that will play a role in steering monetary policy in, in the second half of the year. So I did a thought experiment calculating what year-over-year inflation would be over the next few months at different monthly rates of change in the CPI. And you can see from the table that I did two of them. I said, if CPI on a monthly basis just doesn't go up, it stays at zero. Now remember, it was minus 0.1 this, this past month. If it just stays at zero, we will have... Uh, by June, rents, I'm sorry, CPI inflation rates of less than 1%. That's on a year-over-year basis, okay? That's the number that the Fed likes to look at. If we use the minus 0.1 that, that just occurred, and we say that occurs every month, then by June, we will have a year-over-year inflation rate of 0.3%. Okay, now the Fed's goal is 2%. So by June, we're going to be under the the Fed's rate that they want to maintain. Now, I have to remember that prior to this inflation episode in, beginning in 2021, the Fed really always wanted to get to 2% inflation, but they couldn't get there because inflation was lower. I've only calculated in this table minus 0.1, but if I'm correct with the rents, we're going to see much deeper in deflation than that. Perhaps by April or May, we will see um, uh, the inflation rate on a year-over-year basis down to what the Fed wants to see at 2%. Which in turn hopefully will help the economy a little. Yes. Any final thoughts, Bob? There's a lot of information here, very valuable. Any thoughts on on anything that you would like to leave your readers and viewers with? In addition to the jobs data that we got last Friday and the inflation data that we got today, the first week of the new year also saw the release of the Fed's December meeting minutes. For several months and in several podcasts here, We've postulated that the Fed's new transparency that's telling the markets where interest rates are headed, that worked very well in the tightening mode because markets moved quickly to where the Fed indicated interest rates were going. We postulated that when it came time to ease up on the tightenings called step down, that's when they go from 75 basis points per meeting to raising only 50 or 25. The markets would interpret that as easing and they would start to ease financial conditions at a much faster pace than the Fed desired. So 
when it comes to moving interest rates down or stopping them from rising, we postulated that the Fed would have an issue. And, and as a result, that the Fed would have to appear to be more hawkish than they really are. That's our hypothesis, that in the downward move in interest rates, the Fed has to appear more hawkish. In their minutes, and I'm going to quote their minutes, they have a quotation there that is precisely to this point. Quote, participants noted that because monetary policy worked importantly through financial markets, an unwarranted easing in financial conditions, especially if driven by a misperception by the public of the committee's reaction function, would complicate the committee's effort to restore price stability. The Fed itself is admitting that, the, that our hypothesis that they would have a harder time in the down, in the easing part, than in the tightening part, has come true. At least they've admitted to it. The current hawkishness where all the FOMC members go out and talk about interest rates rising above 5%, etc., is just that. It's talk. It's hawkishness. Our view, and it's reinforced by these very minutes, is that the Fed is going to do what they always do and react to the incoming economic data and react in a timely fashion. As a result of this uh, inflation data that we've just analyzed, we see that the Fed, we think that the Fed will only raise interest rates at its upcoming February 1st meeting by 25 basis points. So we'll now be at 450 to 475. We don't think they're going to get to 5% like, like the FOMC members have been talking. And, and then at their March meeting, when it is clear that the recession is here, and it's clear to everyone that it's here, they will stop raising. So we're going to see one more 25 basis point rate hike, then they're going to stop. And we think that depends on the duration and the depth of the recession, how soon they actually start to ease. We think perhaps sometime in this year's third quarter. Mm -hmm. It's a very foreseeable forecast and you have been right in the past. So I can imagine that you probably will be right as well here. We like to be right. Again, thank you so much, Bob. This is a very insightful, very important information that you shared here. And of course, during those times of big change, it's always a good idea to make sure that your investments are in the right place. And this is what you do for many people. That's what you have been doing for many years. If anyone is interested in having a free analysis of your portfolio, check the link below in the comment area. And you can schedule a call with Bob and with Josh. They can help you analyze your portfolio and make recommendations. Again, thank you so very much, Bob, for everyone. Visit Hidden Truths that today. Check out our YouTube channel and subscribe so that you get information served to you directly into your inbox. And you'll stay aware of any new information that can be critical for your portfolio. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. And I'll see you next time. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everyone.